What's going on, Third and Forever fans? We're back with another edition of Third and Forever, another episode. Took a little bit of a break and some time off, but Tyler Haskins is back, and I'm joined with my good friend, Harrison Larner. Harrison, how you doing today, Dude, man? awesome to be on the show. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Now, now, one thing you guys may not know, Harrison is the godfather of Third and Forever, okay? Way back in the day when this thing used to be called the Haskins Show, I believe <laughs> we, we, we came up with a lot of crazy yeah. names. That, that was our very first, like our original, the OG name was the Haskins Show. And Harrison came to me and wanted to uh, use me for NIL purposes uh, with creating this show and using my face and uh, you know, name, image, and likeness purposes uh, for this platform. And uh, I mean, dude, like you have ownership of this show. Like, this is you. you know? <laughs> oh, man. I, I think very much. I saw that there are these awesome NIL opportunities out there, all these marketplaces popping up now. I've seen all these collectives popping up, but I think there's still such a gap in education when it comes to helping student athletes grow on social media, because as you've seen, I mean, that's what vast majority of these deals are mm -hmm. coming from. And I think there's so much opportunity for content creation just because people care so much about what a lot of student athletes have to say. And uh, I was, it was just a really cool opportunity. Worked with a few different people, but you're the only one we actually had in the studio. So that was, that was a ton of fun. Yeah, it, it was a great time, man. Um, shout out Matt Coronado as well. Good friend of Harvard as well. He is the man. Um, so, so talk to me a little bit, because you, you do a lot with NIL still, you know, and you're really interested with, you know, the business of this in college with college athletes. So what are you doing now? With this yeah, stuff? no, for sure. Um, so previously I worked directly with college athletes and also brands on social media video, worked with a few different, did some little ads and all that. Um, but now I'm actually working for the business of college sports with Christy Doge and also their, their one of their partner companies, D1 Ticker. Um, a lot of what we do now is focusing on like the latest updates in NIL, but especially tracking these NIL collectives that are popping up um, that are either facilitating deals for college athletes or just honestly gathering a bunch of money from donors and giving it to them directly. Uh, Hoosiers for good, um, they raise like hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're just giving it straight to Indiana athletes to promote nonprofits. So seeing, you know, the evolution of NIL, I mean, we, you know, we already been up on a year yet. Right. And so much has already happened and the market is still like very much developing. It's been really cool to see how all that has been transforming. So I've been keeping up a lot with that and then also beginning to start my own thing, uh, the water cooler. Oh, the water cooler. <laughs> yeah, wow. so, uh, so well, we can talk to that later. That's, that's kind of where, uh, where I'm at right now with NIL stuff. Awesome. That's great to hear. I mean, this is something that, as you said, we're not even at a year yet. You know, we've seen so many different things with different athletes from different sports taking advantage of these deals. Um, and it's, it's just been a great opportunity overall to really market yourself and build your own brand as a student athlete. And this is a guy that, I mean, he's, he's partnered with as many as possible and trying to do what he can to get his foot in the door of this business. And he does a hell of a job with it as well. So if you are an athlete out there and you want somebody that can come and promote your brand and help you get into the business of NIL as an athlete, this is the guy you want to talk to. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, I don't like, you know, do stuff like kind of like production stuff, but if you have any questions, I like oftentimes I'll just like hop on the phone with people who are just like, hey, like I'm interested. I saw the other day, was like texting me like, hey, I want to get a deal with Lululemon. So we're like planning out how to do that. So like honestly, just in my free time, I'm more than happy just to have a chat with anybody just because honestly, I, I enjoy doing it. And I think there's so many awesome opportunities out there, but also you have schoolwork, you have football, which I know NCAA says is only 20 hours a week, but let's be honest, it's like, okay. that's like uh, what, 50? Full-time job. <laughs> I was like, at minimum 50. But then also like you're watching film outside, mm -hmm. right? Oh, it's school. And of then, course. oh, you have to have a social life. So it's 80 hours a week. So what does that leave 
um, you know, to research these opportunities, build your brand. That's, you know, that's why I'm so impressed with what, you know, Tyler did. So there's, there's so much going on always, and there's so many distractions, but then there's been a few, you know, you see them across social media. The few athletes who have really invested in it have really done well and really increased opportunities, both for brand deals, but also like opportunities after they graduate. Just like having a reel, if you wanted to go to broadcasting, puts you like 10 steps ahead of everyone mm -hmm. else. For sure. So that's, uh, that's been really cool to see as well. Definitely. Well, let's let's take a step back. Like, like where are you from, man? Like, tell us yeah. about yourself. Like, you know, favorite sports teams. Like, let's let's talk about you as Harris. Yeah, man. Uh, so I'm from Atlanta. My dad went here, so I grew up going to Northwestern. I thought my ticket to get into Northwestern was kicking and football. Mm. So like throughout like you know throughout high school, like I grinded kicking, I grinded kicking, and I was like. Sort of close, but also not really that close. <laughs> I mean, like D two, D three level. Like anyone power five and above, like they're just at a whole nother level. Um, so I thought that was my chance to get in. But throughout all that, I also knew that working in sports was really kind of what my goal was, and so that's why I started making my own YouTube videos. I made YouTube videos for now about seven years. Um, kind of learned all what it takes, not only to you know do well on camera, but also the editing, but also really some YouTube analytics stuff. Because I think there's so much that goes into what makes, you know, these YouTubers have millions of views. You know, it's, I think a lot of people think it's an accident. Um, but while it is, you know, it's a very much, it's a very specific formula that kind of allows you to succeed on YouTube. But getting there and learning all that it takes to get there, it takes a really, really long time. Yeah, and bet. to be honest, being successful, not on YouTube, but, you know, as I'm transitioning to newsletters and, you know, written content as well, it's a process. So I think very much in the learning phase still. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, that's definitely where my background comes from. For sure. Now, are you a Hawks fan? I am. And that was good. You love to see it. I, I don't love to see it because even, <laughs> even though I'm not from Cleveland, I am a diehard Cavalier. Oh, you are? Yeah. I am. And um, I wish I had remembered that you were from Atlanta because I would not have brought you on. So, <laughs> I just I mean, that was just awful. <laughs> it was awful. How do you blow that lead, Cleveland? <laughs> we're, we're all rooting for you. You got Cleveland right there. You got the Guardians right next door who just absolutely blew it away against the Giants <laughs> last night as well. Oh. <laughs> it was uh, it was fun to see. I think a lot of us Hawks fans, you know, we saw them go to the finals last year, and I think it was kind of like, all right, we got a dynasty forming. Like they made it to the finals before they were technically even like ready to make it to the finals. Yeah. A lot of young players, Trey Young doing his thing, but a slight step back this year, but still being able to you know do all the playing game. Which honestly, I've, I've loved the whole playing game tournament series really? because. I, I know technically it's not going to have this large impact on the playoffs, but what it does is it you know shines a spotlight on these teams kind of in the eight through ten range, and also I know it gives them a lot more ticket sales, a lot more broadcast sales. So it indirectly acts as kind of like an anti-tanking measure, which is always nice if you have more competitive teams. And like we see really exciting games like we saw last night oh, yeah. as a result. Wait, so what is your connection to Cleveland? So I I was a big Kyrie fan back then. Okay. Right. So I love Kyrie. I was there for the days when they were winning like 20-something games. Like, it was awful. You never saw them on TV at all. It was bad. And then the savior, LeBron James, came yes, back. Came back from 3-1 and got us a championship. So I'm so thankful for that. I stayed around for those past three years and we won 20-something games a year and finally we had a chance to make it to the playoffs and we blew it. But you know, <laughs> it's, it's okay. They're a young team. You know, they look like they're heading in the right direction. And one thing you just brought up about, you know, ticket sales and like media rights and everything, I agree with you. Like the play-in tournament is a good opportunity for that because 
that was probably the first time I've seen the Cavs on national television in like months. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Exactly. They are not like a team that's going to have the big media deals play on ESPN, TNT every night like that, right? So to have a playing game like that, like as an opportunity to get them out there and put the you know the, the, the Fox Sports Ohio, I think it's Bali now that they're taking over yeah. and and put that you know out there for the public to see. So I think you make a great point. Like this, this is definitely a huge opportunity for teams in that sense. Yeah, and you know, let's say even if the Hawks do get swept, you know, they're playing against the Heat, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, so even if they do get swept, which I sure hope that sure hope doesn't <laughs> happen, you know, that's still like a few national TV games. Lots of eyeballs. People are going to want to see how the Heat looks. So I think it's you know more opportunities to get exposure for all different kinds of players, especially as now everyone's realizing. I mean, we saw like Doug Eater and you know in the March Madness. Doug, Doug. If you get you know if you get a few more you know eyeballs, that increases your social media presence, and there's so many benefits to like every, you know getting more exposure for each teams, even at the professional level. Definitely. So so do you have an idea of like just with the NBA playoffs? They're starting today, in fact, um, with Game One. Uh, I believe it's the Jazz and the Mavericks starting this afternoon, the first of the playoffs. you have a good idea of who you think may take this all the way in the respective conferences? Because I'm, I'm looking at these fields and it's like, I feel like we may see a repeat of Suns and Bucks because it's just like, I don't see anybody that's really contesting with them. I, the Suns are hands down to the best team in the Western Conference. And Steph is coming back tonight with the Warriors. And... Like, they obviously Steph Curry, they give him a legit chance to be able to compete. I think it comes down to Warriors Suns, but I just think the Suns are so good defensively as well. And in the East, I don't really see anyone, like, touching the Bucks unless it's maybe Philadelphia with, you know, Harden now and Embiid. But even Philly, I think, has a hard matchup in the first round starting today against Toronto because, think about it, Canada is still closed off to players who are unvaccinated. So, uh, so true, any, true, any true, true. player who's not vaccinated cannot make that trip and play true. in Toronto. So that's an unfair advantage for anybody who's playing the Raptors. So, I mean, is Philly even going to make it out of that series? And then if they do, how far do they even go, you know? Yeah, no. I, and, it's, and Simmons is going to be coming back in the Nets as well. So it looks, you know, obviously there's Dark Horse team there. I mean, the Heat, there's a reason why, like, they're four games ahead of everyone else in the conference. Mm-hmm. And I think it felt a little bit like the Bucks last year where, okay, they did really well in the regular season. But, like, you know, how good really are they? Mm-hmm. And I think we'll get to test that a lot. Adding Lowry, big for them. Yeah. You know, I think he gives them that experience, like him along with Jimmy Butler and the rest of the crew that gives them a big advantage it's tough to bet against stuff you know teams yeah. teams that lose in the finals and i think this is you know same across any sport very rarely return to the you know finals the super bowl or whatever the next season so obviously the suns team is really good but uh, i'm always kind of a sucker for experience when it comes to the nba playoffs for and sure. like Obviously, Steph's been there before, and like you know, Poole's been playing so much better this year. I saw a list yes. where it was like he was maybe top three most improved player voting. So like just seeing, you know, getting him some backcourt help and then everything else that's going on there is it should should uh, should eventually put out some cool series for sure, definitely. Now I want to transition to football. Now, are you a Falcons fan? You know, I'm not as big of a Falcons fan as I am kind of in other sports. Like, I'll casually follow them, but... Well, what do you have to follow at this point? <laughs> it's nothing left, man. It could, it could have been worse. They could have traded for Deshaun Watson. And, and I, it could have been worse. We're we, we not going to talk about that. Deshaun Watson on this episode. <laughs> I mean, from a playing standpoint, I feel like he might have given you a better chance to mark his Mariota. Hey, well, okay, okay. About. okay, there's, okay I, I'll say this. There's a decent chance that they may draft somebody. Okay. There's a few quarterbacks in this draft. I don't, I, know, I don't think there's any consensus around the top quarterback in this draft, 
but that may be an advantage as, you know, you never know if Pickett will fall, if Malik Willis will fall. There's a few other fringe first, second round guys that may or may not be the answer for them. And I think, you know, they've done a lot more scouting than I have personally. But I think, you know, Willis especially, I remember him coming into the season, you know, being projected as maybe a potential number one overall pick. He had kind of a so-so season, but we've seen a lot of like hyped prospects take a tiny step back. His, his arm, absolutely electric. Mm -hmm, I, would, I wouldn't really consider him to be like a strong runner, um, but definitely someone who can, you know, evade pressure. He's got that option. Yeah, sure. exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that that's really beneficial. Definitely. Who do you think is the best overall quarterback like in this draft as a prospect? You got Willis, you have Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, Sam Howell from UNC. Like, who is the number one guy that teams should be targeting who need a quarterback? I mean, I think, you know, I try to follow a lot of what, you know, the top analysts are saying and not not not, not to not to throw anyone out. Not not the top analysts at ESPN. I think uh, I think Brugler does a really good job at the athletic. And I think throughout this process he's been high on picket. And I think, you know, similar to Burrow, there was concerns of, okay, this guy was solid, solid, and then absolutely just came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that sustainable? I mean, we really don't know, but I also like to see guys who can just dominate at the college level. Also, you know, you still at the ACC, you know, Pittsburgh not necessarily a traditional power, but also still at the ACC level. So seeing him do well there is definitely an encouraging sign for what he might be able to do in the NFL. Definitely. I like that. Now, I want to talk about a veteran quarterback who's done everything that these guys are trying to do already. I mean, this guy is, he's the GOAT for, for a reason, right? Tom Brady. There was a story that came out in the Boston Globe about last week or early this week that kind of just flew under the radar, right? And it was a story about Tom Brady and the Dolphins because there was a little bit of speculation that Tom may be on his way to Miami when he was trying to make his decision, should he retire or not, should he return to Tampa Bay? Well, apparently the story came out that Tom Brady had an opportunity and had talked with Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, about coming on as part of a management role with the Dolphins. Along with that, finding a way to still play for the Dolphins, right? So, so not only is this guy going to have, you know, a rule of say of who gets, you know, on the roster and stuff and who's going to play, but he's also going to be able to play as well, right? So there's, there's a lot of value to that team, yeah, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So what went wrong in this? Well, the day that Tom was supposed to, I guess, make this decision or really confirm things with, you know, owner Stephen Ross was the same day that former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores sued the NFL, mm -hmm. right? So Tom Brady sees that, and he's like, okay, Stephen Ross, racist allegations, you know, the hiring process, I'm backing out of this, I don't want to put my money in this, basically, yeah. right? Tom Brady goes on to meet with the owners of Manchester United, who also own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, oh. and, and then he, okay, he makes his decision that, okay, I'm going to come back, you know, Interesting. I'm, I'm Interesting. not going to retire. And the other thing that had to do with that, we talked about this a couple weeks back, was uh, the retirement of Bruce Arians had to do with that as well, because... Rosarian wasn't really doing things all together. He wasn't always there with the team this yep. past year. He was ready to go. And Tom was like, okay, if he's gone, then I'll come back, you know? For sure. But I want to look at this now because we've seen this before in sports where former players, just because of who they are and their success, Magic Johnson, Derek Jeter, they're thrown into these management roles where it's like, okay, start managing this team. Start hiring these people. Start taking on these roles. And for someone like Tom Brady to have this opportunity, like, how can these guys necessarily succeed? Because Magic Magic Johnson, it seemed like it was too much for him. 
right? Because he ended up stepping down as the president of the Lakers, right? Right. Derek Jeter, like the Miami Marlins just have not been successful and haven't really seen a twist or anything since he's been in, in power there. So like, why, why is it so easy for organizations to just put players in here, you know, who've had success, but it doesn't really translate to the front office? No, that, that, that's a great question. And it's something that I've considered, especially seeing so many really, really successful athletes struggle to transition you know, into that role. And the theory that at least I've gone off of is oftentimes those top of the line, like, you know, top 10 players of all time, really natural players at their position. Obviously they've worked extremely hard, but they simply have talents, abilities, you know, in the case of Magic Johnson, like basketball IQ, all of that kind of stuff. And many other players like in their sport, you know, I'd say vast majority of players in the sport don't necessarily have that natural talent and ability. So not only does that make them a little bit more difficult to manage, but also it makes it a little bit more difficult to scout um, mm. in terms of player talent, both at the major league level, but also at the minor league or college level, just because you're thinking, you know, why is that player not able to do that? I was able to do that. There it you is know, right there. You know, if, if you're Derek Jeter, maybe you're able to spot a curveball significantly, you know, more often than a double A player is, and you may, you know, project them incorrectly as a result. And also because you've had so much success in one thing, maybe you think, you know, you maybe kind of come in overconfident. And certainly Tom Brady could be that way. Although, uh, you know, the bull case on Tom Brady being solid in management is that for a long time, he wasn't that guy. No. You know, he was a guy who's very limited physically, a guy who very much used his IQ in order to do well in the sport. And eventually, you know, he, he did improve his body. Although I'll say he is a little bit underrated as an athlete considering he was drafted into the MLB. So it is true. People do act like he's some sort of scrub physically, <laughs> but that's certainly not the case. He was um, one of those guys. Yeah, so, so he was one of those guys, but I think maybe there's a chance based on what, you know, we've heard stories of the way he coaches up teammates. Could he potentially do better in that management role? I think he has a chance, but also it's difficult to know. Do you think he's going to transition to that? I don't know, one or two more years now with the Bucks. Like, if you're Tom, if you were Tom Brady and you wanted to do, and you wanted to put yourself in a position to succeed, where would you go? What would you do? You know, I feel like Tom Brady is going to be one of those guys. He, he might turn into a Michael Jordan trying to own a team one day. Like, yeah, that's he, he's more like exactly. I mean, I feel like he would want the whole thing, you know, in his hands, right? We've heard guys like LeBron James say this as well when their playing days are over. Like, I want to own a team, you know. And I think for him, like that probably is the best opportunity and option for him is to have the entire thing in his hands because if Tom Brady is going to be the GM of a team or is going to be the vice president of operations somewhere in the front office, like, I don't know if he's equipped with those skills necessarily, yeah. you know, from playing football to be able to translate that to management, you know? And I would, if, it, if it's the Buccaneers, you know, then, then you got to negotiate that with the owners of that who also sure. own Manchester yeah. United, yeah. you know? Sure. But I mean, I would look at a franchise like stay in Florida, you know, you love the taxes down there, Tom, or no taxes. <laughs> join join the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I say take that team. They, they need know? it. They especially need they, they need something with, you know, the year that they have with Urban Meyer and then, you know, the team has so much cap space as well, you know. So they, true, they, true, got, true. they got opportunities to do things and I mean Tom could maybe turn around, you know. But I mean, we can't even talk about that because he's still playing, and he's like forty-four. Got to turn forty-five in August, <laughs> and he played well last season. Exactly, fifty-four hundred yards. Yes, yes. Like that. And then you know, 
Everyone laughs at the TV 12 method. We've all been making fun of the avocado toast for oh. years. We've been making fun of the dumb water. We've been making fun <laughs> of the pliability exercises. Who? I didn't know avocado ice cream was a thing. Like, why? That's not, that sounds disgusting. That's if I mean ice cream, I just want to eat it healthy. That's disgusting. Oh, man. I, but he's doing something at another level. But I, I actually, I, I really like even better what you said about owning a team just because we've seen so many athletes, even while they're active, kind of become like these investors. And I think LeBron is the one who really paved the way because for some reason, not only is he, you know, in my opinion, maybe yours too, the best basketball player of all time, but he's also a prodigy at business. I mean, what are the yeah. odds that that one person, and obviously he has an incredible team around him, but also the way he has been going, I know he like got, early in on like tonal and now you know they're you know headed towards an ipo and seeing so many of these athletes be able to leverage their name image and likeness actually for business not only for single off advertising opportunities it's a big difference to go from just advertising something to the ownership side of something right and we've seen a couple nil deals like that it's maybe a little bit difficult because a lot of college athletes don't have quite as much leverage but being able to see athletes transition from you know, just kind of a player, just kind of doing their thing in order to the ownership role has been something really, really cool to see. Mm -hmm. And it's been a fun development, especially as, you know, we could see more and more players, you know, former greats owning teams in a league. Like how cool would that be if half, you know, you know, maybe 50 years from now, half the NBA was owned by former players. You know, Kevin Durant owns a team, Steph, Steph Curry yeah. owns a team. Like how cool would that, that be? That would be insane. That'd be, that'd be pretty dope. I love that. So I want to transition. One last thing we want to talk about, and just still talking about like some you know financial economic type things when we talk about front office. What is your opinion on salary cap? Because you have a sport like Major League Baseball where it's non-existent, and you know the teams who are going to spend, who have the money to spend, are going to be good, right? You have the Yankees who have all the money in the world who can spend every single year. They don't always get it done every year, but yeah. like, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to do something, right? And you, you compare the teams like, you know, the Oakland Athletics that we've seen in the movie Moneyball, right? The Baltimore Orioles, who's, they just don't have the money to spend. They're small market teams. And, you know, when we look at the, the MLB compared to the NBA or the NFL, where there is a salary cap, I feel like that gives you the opportunity in the NFL, for example, to see a new team and kind of leapfrog and jump, you know, every single year and say, okay, this team was four and 12 or probably four and 13 now with the extra game at this point. <laughs> I forgot four, that, that's great. Four, four and 13 now at this point. And now they go to, uh, I don't know, 12 and five, you know, the next yeah. year or something. So like, what is your opinion on the salary cap? Do you think that the rest of the major league sports um, or professional sports, excuse me, should be more like Major League Baseball and not have a salary cap? Or should baseball transition to the rest of the sports and, uh, you know, kind of add a salary cap to what they're doing financially? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a trade-off um, because on one hand, you know, a lot of what the salary cap is, is usually a split in revenue between players and teams. You know, I think it's 55-45, don't quote me on that. Um, and I think also, you know, combined with salary cap, combined with the salary floor, gives each team, you know, a certain parity that we're looking for. And even in baseball, I think the trade-off is that, yeah, you could have these mega 10-year contracts, you know, a lot of them are guaranteed, kind of unlike the NFL. Um, and but the, well, the problem is, is such a small percentage of players get to the superstar huge contract level, much less even get to the major league level because yeah. of so much what happens 
you know, in the minor leagues and players getting underpaid for the first like seven years of their career, if not 10 years of their career, absolutely crazy. So, so I think, you know, for me, I would much rather have better guaranteed contracts. I think of the way the NBA does it, um, not only are, you know, G League players getting paid, you know, a living wage now, but also, uh, but also each player's guaranteed contract. And yeah, there is a salary cap, um, but I would rather have the minimum floor raise rather than the salary cap increase, because if the salary cap like increases, then oftentimes that's just going to go to a larger and larger pool, a small mm -hmm. amount of players. And like we talked about, those players have a lot of opportunities to you know make money outside of the game. Oh, yeah. And for me, it'd be you know my number one priority would be protecting players that only had you know one, two, three years in the league, mm -hmm. but also have you know sustained significant you know injuries or you know it's a lot more difficult to get into the workforce because like mm -hmm. you've been dedicating your life towards that. So that's kind of where my priorities are. I mean, in a perfect situation, we'd have no salary cap and every player we make in a ton because you know how much they're making for the leagues. Yeah. But also, you don't want to end up in a collective bargaining disaster like we've had with mm -hmm. baseball these past few years. And that too, for sure. I think you make a great point with that. I think, you know, with baseball, like, that's how we've been able to see kind of like the dynasties, you know, like that's, yeah. that's why the Yankees have 27 rings, you know, <laughs> because they just, they spend every year, you know, a team like the Dodgers, they may not have won it in the past few years, but like they're in the World Series, like four past five years, I believe, you know, representing the National League. So it's like, that's how I feel like the greatness is made, you know, the Lakers, you know, in basketball teams, they've had the money, the Celtics. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys of the yeah, 90s, yeah, the Niners yeah. of the 80s, you know what I'm saying? The teams that had the money, like, they were able to spend, they were able to win consistently, you know? So I feel like that's how, you know, the, the dynasties and the greatness of teams, the consistency is really created. Um, and you even have teams such as, let's talk about the Patriots dynasty, you know, where, yeah. like, Tom Brady was a guy who was taking less money every year so that they could build and, you know, have options around him on both sides of the ball to be able to compete and win year after year, you know, like there's different things that you can do with it. And I think in the future, we may see something more like baseball and some other sports where like you may see the salary cap kind of diminish, you know, but again, I am an advocate for the players. And I know you're saying like we got to do what's best for the players at the end of the day, yeah. you know, and especially I love what you say about players who have gone through injuries and, you know, have maybe not had as long careers as other ones to be able to sustain themselves through life afterwards yeah. as well, which is extremely important. For sure. So, For sure. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Harrison, I appreciate you. Thanks for so much for having me. It was man, fun, man. Uh, this was great. This is a guy who does everything he does to the fullest and knows what he's talking about. So shout him out. We'll put his handle down there on social media. And um, you can hit him up, whatever you need. That's Harrison Marner. Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. That's, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where I'm big these days. I'll throw a newsletter on there. There you go. Soon. There that's you go. Cool. Get, get the, what, what's, this, what's this new little about? Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, it's called The Water Cooler. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of what we've realized is there's so many newsletters, podcasts, you know, that are out there that are really excellent, kind of like this show, um, that don't necessarily get the respect they deserve. The algorithms, you know, aren't necessarily surfacing it the way. So we want to highlight um, so a few of those newsletters, you know, podcasts, it's not a huge block. You should be able to go through it and, you know, a couple minutes a week. So I'll, I'll have that on my LinkedIn. I'm sure I have on my Twitter and Instagram and all that as well. But uh, thanks again for having me. Of course. This has been Third and Forever with Tyler Haskins. We'll see you next episode. Peace. Appreciate it. This has been Third and Forever starring Tyler Haskins.